Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the hash here on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Jensen Assey and Adam Levine. Today, we are here to catch you up on all that's going on in the world of crypto and more. We're going to talk about some self-custody shenanigans. What's going on, Jen? Why, why is everyone mad at Ledger? I just don't get it. What's happening? Everyone is mad at Ledger. So here's what's happening. Ledger is continuing to defend itself about their recovery system, right? So they're saying that Ledger has always technically been able to extract users' key. The hard wallet company recently released a program called Recover. Now, Recover would allow users to back up their seed recovery phrase through encrypting it into fragments with third parties. Users were originally concerned with this, saying that it could make uh, their wallets more vulnerable. And now Ledger's taken to Twitter and responded and said, you know what, it's always technically been possible for us to write firmware that facilitates key extraction. People are mad. There's a lot going on here. Adam, I'm going to toss it to you. What do you make of all the back and forth? I think it's a sign, you know, that uh, we continue to be stuck in this thing where it's like everybody wants to be your own bank, but there are downsides to that. And so we accept compromises. A lot of times those compromises are implicit. They're not really things that we think about. They're just, hey, this seems like it's a good solution. And I think that, again, what you have here is a company saying the quiet part out loud, which is that to the extent that you abstract away any of these types of problems, you typically are putting some type of at least partially trusted relationship. Now, I actually think that the the concern here is largely overblown. You know, it's a very reasonable understanding or it's a very reasonable sort of uh, like response, but still like the actual like potential attack scenarios here are not really ones that I'm concerned about. Uh, It is worth noting though that again, just like by surfacing these concerns, a lot of times you can take something that has always been an issue and you can make it into a real issue. And then again, in the world of crypto Twitter, everything gets amplified to 11. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I don't hate this response. And I, I think some of the, the, the hand-wringing is, is, hand is a bit overblown, right? Like, you know, let's just be honest here. Technically, yes, this stuff is what can happen, right? And I think going out there and saying that 
is fine, right? I know this is sort of casted as a PR blunder, but it kind of feels to me like, hey, someone just sort of saying how it is. And I think, again, like to the point about the bigger picture here, not dealing with the response about the picture of this sort of like this new feature, right? You know, I think Ledger is interestingly sort of caught between the OG hardcore crypto ethos and moving the needle on crypto self-custody to make things a bit easier, right? They got the guy who designed the iPod to, to design a new device for them called Stacks. They have all these funny, like high fashion partnerships with little various dangles and stuff that you can do with your Ledger hardware wallet. So they're trying to sort of move the needle and make self-custody more mainstream. But of course, as the CEO mentions in the piece, to do that, you have to make some compromises and you have to make some compromises around trust assumptions. And if this is what those new customers are going to demand, then maybe providing that optionality is fine, right? Maybe providing that backup recovery is something that should be acceptable in terms of what exists in the Ledger product suite. But obviously, again, Adam, as you mentioned, right, sort of the, the, the angst and the, um, you know, the anger about some of this stuff does get amplified in the world of crypto Twitter, where sort of these things can become a um, big deal out of relatively small origins. So, you know, I think this is sort of a, a mainstream story. This is a mainstreaming story, right? Mainstreaming crypto into the real world requires some compromises and some trade-offs around those really foundational promises of being your own bank and holding your own assets without having to trust an, an intermediary. And they're saying, well, hey, in some instances, maybe a little bit of trust is acceptable, but to purists, that is not not sitting well. I'm going to throw it to Jen. I saw Adam's hand up. I want to get Jen on the board here. Yeah, I agree with both of you completely. Ledger is not the only wallet that's looking at this either, right? There are other wallets that are maybe not hard wallets, like Soul Wallet that's supported by the Ethereum Foundation that is also looking at ways to make accessing and storing your assets easier for the mainstream. And here, I think Ledger's just been caught up in, in a narrative storm. I want to look at this tweet by Binance's CZ. I think he sums up the kind of negative side of this argument. He said in this tweet, so the seed can leave the device now. Sounds like a different direction than your keys never leave the device and the your keys never leave the device is in quotation. So I think the only real like, you know, PR blunder here is maybe not thinking through how do we introduce this new messaging to the community when we've all when we've kind of leveraged this your not your keys, not your coins message. So I just think maybe there was like a little blip in thinking through how we're going to introduce this to the world. But I agree completely with you. If we're going to achieve mainstream adoption, we have to make it easier to, to use some of these products. And I think it's interesting that CZ said this because I'm pretty sure he was the one who went out there after FTX and said, you know, not everyone can hold on to their own assets. It's super hard to hold on to your own seed phrase. And here he is taking a side in the ledger argument. Adam? Yeah, you know, this is not a new problem. Like when we're talking about this disconnect between sort of the crypto native community who feel very strongly about these things and for good reason, you know, and sort of the, the broader early majority adoption thing. Back in 2014 through 2017, 2018, uh, this, these were the problems that I was working on and I was many years too early for it. But I ran into a lot of these things, which is that even asking somebody to understand what a seed phrase is and to retain that seed phrase in a way where they're never going to lose it, that's actually a really bad path for like 10 plus percent of people. And again, when you start talking about these mass adoption numbers and you start talking about these systems, again, like, you know, for all of the ills that, that I, I find with the current financial system, one of the things that they've done very well is they've made people, they've given people redundancy in the systems, right? So it, it's, it's okay if your bank fails because, hey, so long as not every bank is failing right now, 
then there's the ability for you to get your money back because those safety nets exist. If somebody charges money in your credit card, you can get that money back. And so those are, again, like those are patches to problems that exist within the system, which is that it is not immutable, which means you can have those types of attacks. But Bitcoin and cryptocurrency broadly need those types of solutions built on top of their much better foundation that can ease these problems too. And that really is what this seems to be to me. So I agree with you, Jen, that this was not an artful way to talk about this. And it certainly triggered a lot of people, but it's a real problem and it's an important one. Zach? Yeah, good discussion. We'll leave it there. We'll change gears and let's go talk about Ripple. Ripple Labs, which obviously has been embroiled in a years-long fight with the SEC now, is really making waves of late. A lot of news coming out of that firm, including today, news that they're starting a platform for central banks to issue their own CBDCs. This is sort of a private version of the XRP ledger, enabling you know central bank authorities to issue both wholesale and retail CBDCs down the line. Now, this news comes right on the heels of a $250 million acquisition of crypto custody firm Medico. And also, we've seen some developments in that SEC case relating to the so-called Hinman speech documents that we can maybe touch on in this conversation. But I'll throw it straight to Adam for the take on CBDCs. Certainly other you know, blockchain foundations have dabbled in, in making these platforms available to central bankers. Now Ripple is looking to get, on the, get in on the act. What's your take? Yeah, Ripple is really the original gangster when it comes to this type of blockchains that service banks use case thing. And given all of the kind of interest in central bank digital currencies, which largely has been stirred up by the existence of cryptocurrency and stable coins, and again, sort of forcing the, the existing systems need to compete, it's not surprising at all to me that we would see Ripple go this way. This is actually wholly consistent. It's kind of funny because if you go back to the kind of very earliest days, Ripple was one of the earliest projects to actually come out. And it was one of the only ones after Bitcoin that didn't borrow almost everything from Bitcoin and basically just change, you know, the name like Dogecoin is an example of this. Right. And so Ripple really was a different set of technologies. And their vision was always really different to the point that folks who were very passionate about the hard money characteristics of Bitcoin, like myself, really didn't take them seriously for a very long time. It was like, okay, you're recreating the current financial system, which is the problem itself using these new technologies in ways that don't solve any of the fundamental problems that I have with it. So like that was my perspective and it kind of remains my perspective, but I think that there is obviously a market for banks and central, you know, central banks and kind of larger institutions around the world who are looking for the right way to do this. And Ripple sees a market there. That seems like there's probably a market there to me too. The question is, can they compete against the homegrown solutions? Because we know that again, the people at the highest levels of finance aren't exactly known for being great at their job. So uh, what do you think? Jen? Well, I wonder if this is them kind of diversifying their business, right? They've been in this battle with the SEC for so long. The CEO has come out and said they're expected to spend, I think, $200 million in this ongoing battle. And so it's kind of interesting to me to read the story and see them in this really long drawn out fight with the government here in the US, but building this product to work with governments potentially abroad, probably outside of the US. And so I'm curious how much of this is, you know, diversifying their portfolio, trying a to offer maybe a little bit of a less risky product. But I wonder, and I don't know, Adam, if you have any thoughts here, do you think that the privacy conversation around CBDCs is going to affect the mindset of people who operate in the XRP ecosystem right now? Not particularly. Now, I'll, I'll uh, you know, fully disclaim that I have not, I do not pay very close attention to the XRP community or really to their to modern technology. It was more of a kind of back in the day type thing for me. But like I said, I think that these communities that exist out there, what they really want is they want their protocol of choice to be successful. And successful looks different in different sorts of scenarios. But what it looks like really is, hey, here's a problem that has a customer that has a use. 
where we can really resolve that. And then that can make the protocol more valuable, which can make the token more valuable because it's a stamp to use the protocol. That's almost the entirety of the thinking uh, when it comes to, you know, at a very high level for all of these types of projects. So again, to the extent that this takes off and they actually can get buy-in from it. And if you were to see, you know, CBDCs uh, being issued around the world uh, that were starting to utilize this, then I think that they would have a very strong argument that first off, that that is a real use case that has a customer and has all of those things. And secondly, that that's enough maybe to drive the protocol to success for the reasons that I said. So I'm curious to see what the uptake is like. You know, I'm curious to see kind of how far they can get with this or if it's just, hey, here's a platform because the platform doesn't do much without customers. Zach? I'm very curious to see what's next in Ripple's bag of tricks, right? I think, you know, we are hearing much more out of them than we had in the last 18 months, say, right? And I think it's largely because signs are indicating that maybe they might be successful in this fight against the SEC. I want to go back to the Hinman speech. The Hinman speech, Hinman was a former uh, SEC commissioner who made a speech, I believe it was in 2018, indicating that Ether, the native asset of the Ethereum blockchain, would not be considered a security. And so the way Ripple has been arguing its case with the SEC is that those documents and that information would be highly relevant to their conversations around whether or not XRP could be seen as a security, because that's what they got dinged for by the SEC some years ago now. Uh, uh, The SEC alleged that they were making big, big, big sales of an unregistered security that should have, um, you know, got the stamp of approval from U.S. regulators. So the fact that the uh, judge ruled that they can't, that the government can't seal those documents, I think Ripple is starting to see that things may come uh, to a positive outcome as it relates to that case. And therefore, I think we're seeing some of these additional business activities ramp up that had sort of been frozen by the uncertainty or the stasis or the limbo that they were in, specifically in the U.S. Now, that's not to say that they're not a big project in other jurisdictions. They still, I think, are a top 10, top six coin by market cap, inclusive of the stable coins out there. So certainly a big player outside of the U.S., but they have certainly been in limbo in terms of what they can do, what they can say while they're fighting this SEC case. And so now, again, with this acquisition, and I think to a lesser degree, this platform, I think they're really trying to get back out there into the world and say, hey, we're still here, we're still doing things in addition to this fight that we've mounted against US regulators. It's interesting to see sort of the perception around them change uh, over these last two years while the fight has dragged on. Uh, Adam, curious for your thoughts on that part of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a little bit off topic here, but I'm getting increasingly excited about the implications of the Coinbase uh, of the Coinbase lawsuit, and specifically some of the amicus briefs that have been put in by other parties. Um, these are sort of briefs that come from outside or entities that are asking to have a voice in this because they think that it has significance. Notably, the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, put in a very, very well uh, versed letter about this, just explaining the downsides to the approach that the SEC is taking and how it might, in fact, not be lawful. And so, again, like that type of thing happening is significant. And it's not just about Coinbase, that's about everything. So, that would have major implications in the Ripple case. Now, of course, if this goes to trial at all, which is not at all certain, then we don't actually know whether, you know, we don't know how long that'll take. It's very possible the Ripple resolves before that. But it's a very important case that I'm watching closely. All right, we'll leave that one there. Also, I'm hearing from Control that Jen is going to be interviewing a Ripple VP tomorrow, James Wallace, who is running the CBDC initiative. So tune in tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern, to learn more about this initiative from Ripple Labs. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? 
CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. For all the complexity that we deal with in the world of crypto broadly, DeFi, or decentralized finance, represents another layer of confusion for the average person. Simply put, DeFi needs to get a lot easier to use. At least that's one of the core takeaways from a recent survey of more than 1,800 U.S. retail users, as they're described, conducted by Uniswap Labs. The poll showed, among other things, that a lot of potential DeFi users are put off by the cost and complexity of that on-chain trading. And honestly, I can't say that that's a surprise to me. As a longtime early adopter of technologies that are very risky, DeFi has always struck me as one of the most risky things that you could do in this space kind of a big flashing warning sign even for the DGENs among us, uh, both in terms of game theory, smart contract risk, my personal inability to audit it all. Honestly, it's, it's a scary place even for me. Jen, I'm super curious for your thoughts on this one. Seems like it's not surprising, but there were some interesting takeaways. I first have to say that I love that you are our risk-averse host on the show, just always bringing us back to reality. You know, I'm always so skeptical of polls and surveys, but just like you, Adam, I didn't find any of these results uh, surprising. I think this brings us back to the ledger story we spoke about at the top of the show, right? Things just need to get easier if we want to achieve adoption. And maybe the answer is we don't want to achieve adoption right now. It feels like we have the struggle between like this like mass adoption and decentralization. And then we have this like sprinkling of regulation that makes it even more confusing for everyone involved. Near the end of the story, there's a quote there that says, you know, we really need to continue to work on education, if we want people to be able to use these things. I think the education is out there. And my real thought and opinion on this is that we can only achieve education through great user experiences. Like, I think that's what we need to work on. We need to abstract away all of these complicated elements in the DeFi ecosystem if the end goal is bringing billions of people here. Zach? Hot take. It's not that hard. People should just try it. Like, seriously. <laughs> Like, Don't they need a cool. better user experience to try it though, Zach? It's kind I mean, of tough. You just and get a browser extension wallet, you play around and you kind of figure it out. You put in a hundred bucks, it's not huge money, and you kind of figure out cool places to do this thing. I mean, it is really eye-opening when you first wade into the world of on-chain crypto and use your wallet to do stuff. And your wallet balance follows you around the web without you having to create accounts at all these various services, right? And that is different than the existing financial system and different also from the world of centralized crypto exchanges, right? So hot take, spend a weekend, waste a hundred bucks, go to pool together and do a lossless lottery. <laughs> and just like, that's a safe way to wade into the world of on-chain crypto. Because I think like in the wake of FTX, there was all this conversation around like, okay, crypto is now going to get back to its true ideals of, you know, uh, finance without dubious middlemen, right? And, you know, sadly, I think the data here is largely true. There's a lot of hurdles toward doing that, right? Despite all of the sort of narrative tailwinds that were allegedly going to push people to experiment with on-chain crypto, transparent, auditable, you know, free of centralized bad actors, at least. So the idea here, I think that people need to kind of get over those, those hurdles. It's real, but it's just, it's just a matter of, I don't know, experimenting, getting your hands dirty, try it out. And if it clicks for you, it clicks. If not, not. I don't know. Adam, talk me down. Talk me off my ledge. No, I think that the take is more nuanced. Uh, I think your take is more nuanced than mine, certainly. I think about these things in kind of broad, bright line type of perspectives. 
And, you know, there is a lot of value to be had there. But when I look at financial plumbing, I'm not thinking, oh, that's what I want to plug into directly. I'm thinking, I wish my bank was built on top of this, right? I'm thinking, I wish that, you know, my brokerage, to the extent that I have one, which I don't anymore, uh, you know, was built on top of this. And I wish that they could do stuff for me, controlling, you know, my wallet using one key, and then I could co-sign stuff that they're doing. Again, like, there's all kinds of stuff that exists there. But I'm just not the guy who wants to live in the plumbing of it all. And that's what I see when I look at DeFi. I see that as the plumbing that the new system gets built on top of that's better than the current system by a large margin, but which still, again, like credit cards are terrible technology, except for the layers upon layers upon layers of sort of abstraction that's built on top of them that allows them to feel instant, to feel like they're really convenient and to be useful everywhere. That did not happen overnight. That took a long time to happen. And I suspect that the same type of thing is going to happen here. Now, I mean, I think the counter argument to that is, do do we need that? Does it need to happen like that? Do we need it to be the plumbing or can everybody just use the kind of base level of financial system? I don't know the answer to that, but I know that if I'm uncomfortable with that idea, then that means that there are a lot of other people out there who do not have my risk tolerance because I have incredible risk tolerance for anybody in the normal world, just not in crypto. (laughs) Uh, You know, like I, I just think that's the hurdle you have to overcome. Jen? I have $100 and a group of friends, and I'm going to experiment. Where do I start? Uh, no, no financial advice. <laughs> financial just give, advice. Just, just give me the $100. You All of me. you, just send me the $100. This will be amazing. <laughs> this, will be the, this, is, uh, this is the new move. Yeah, I mean, just, just I don't know. I mean, I think, honestly, pool, not to shill a project, but pool together is a very sort of safe, simple starting point, right? The concept of a lossless lottery is pretty cool. You put your money in, it, it incentivizes savings. One person wins all of the collected yield and it pays out to that one winner. And if you don't lose, if you don't win, you don't lose. Your money just keeps going with your lossless lottery tickets. So that to me was always sort of like an eye-opening, safe-ish place to start. But hey, to each their own, not financial advice, not legal advice, not life advice, D-Y-O-R. If you know, you know. That's all I got to say. All the disclaimers. Okay. All of the disclaimers. Let's talk about some pippy coins. That's fun, right? There's a new report from on-chain analytics firm Sentiment that says retail traders were mostly absent from Pepe's rise to to a $1.5 billion market cap. The analytics firm compared the liquidity and trading metrics for Pepe against SHIB and Doge, which we all know surged during the bull market. Sentiment said that even though trading volume was lower in comparison, there is room for growth and untapped potential. Adam... Are you surprised? Or Zach, are you surprised? Are you both surprised? I thought Pepe was for the people. What the hell? This is just whales juicing their bags in a bear market. I'm shocked, I tell you. I'm shocked. (laughs) This is this is somewhat depressing. I don't know. I don't know. Somewhat depressing. Maybe it's just a order of magnitude thing, but I don't know. Adam, what are your thoughts? I don't know if it's depressing. I think it's typical. I think it's exactly what I would expect from this part of the cycle, which is that people get bored. And when you get bored, then people create new coins. Again, it's important to keep in mind that this is another one of those coins that utilizes the flaw in human thinking where our brains can't comprehend numbers above a certain point. Again, Pepe is another one of these tokens that issues absolutely trillions. And so people look at it and they say, oh, for this number of tokens, that equals this price. And all it has to do is go to a penny and then, oh my God, I can retire. And the sad reality of it is, is that that's a really flawed way to think about these types of things. You have to think about the liquidity. You have to think about who actually wants this thing. 
And so again, I describe a lot of stuff like this as gambling. And I think that that's what this is. This is, this is again, this is people gambling. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not something I'm interested in. And I think that I, I think it's just such a different environment today than it was during the last bull market, which is that people felt like they were both bored and had, you know, enough money because they were getting some money from the government, among other things, you know, to just take some flyers. And I just think that the opposite is true now. I think that people are very busy and I think that they don't feel rich. I think they feel poor. And I think that all of those things combine together to, to make it to, to make you say, why would I gamble today? So it's again, people who have lots of money. Uh, you know, from the crypto world, you know, and then some people getting lucky and then those people who are getting lucky, it's like someone wins the lottery, right? Like that doesn't mean everybody gets to win the lottery. That just means that person got lucky. Jen? You know, we're in the bear market when all the fun things are down. So it's not just meme coins that are experiencing this, right? There were some NFT numbers that came out this morning that showed, you know, a huge drop in trading volume, metaverse, way less interest in metaverse, bunch of big companies are leaving. But the thing that remains is social sentiment. <laughs> So the article said when compared to uh, Shiba Coin and Doge, the social element is still on par with those meme coins. They're talking about like Twitter chatter and banter and memes and jokes. And so I guess that like we could take one thing away from this. The community is still there, Adam. The community is there. And maybe, just maybe during the next bull market, the money could be there too. Or the people, the people with the money that are not the whales. And that's... That's the end of this rant, Zach. Everybody wants to be next dog money. <laughs> no Pepe FUD, guys. No FUD in the Pepe. Don't FUD the Pepe coin. <laughs> Don't do it. All right, good. We avoided that. All right, that's it for the show today. Thanks for being here. I'm Zach. Where'd my people go? Jen, she's somewhere. There she is. Hey, Jen. Adam, Hello. how you doing over there? Hi. You Adam, guys rule. Take part in the fun. I Thanks got for, it. It's that was good. It was good. All right, guys. It. That's it for the show. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.